as leaders, we have to evolve, right? You talked about being adaptive. We have to be adaptive and be the catalyst for more adaptive thinking. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Linda Pack. Linda, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, David. And thank you for wearing your pink. You look great. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited to celebrate today. Linda, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Of course. But before I do that, I, I wanted to tell your listeners, this is not a Barbie movie plug in case you're wondering why there's all this pink. For those of you not aware, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And the Estee Lauder company breast cancer campaign is a huge driver founded in 1992 by the late Evelyn H. Lauder, who also co-founded the Pink Ribbon, if you didn't know that. So we're a big supporter of breast cancer research. And when my boss joined, he created Tech Day of Pink. And that's to mobilize the global tech community to help advance towards a breast cancer free world. And it's through awareness, education, and fundraising because breast cancer is gender identity agnostic. So last year, we raised over half a million, just the, the global tech community alone. And this year, today is Tech Day of Pink. We're hoping to do just the same or even better. So would love for all of you in the tech community to wear pink. Post a selfie on either Insta, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn with a hashtag, and this will be shared with hashtag Tech and Pink 2023 and hashtag Time to End Breast Cancer. And every public post will raise funds as we have multiple CIOs in the industries and companies who have agreed to donate with every post. I got 
chills a little bit. Just it feels really great to be a part of what you all are doing. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Thank you, David. And now to your question, my current role, I am the divisional CIO for Estee Lauder Company's global brands and functions. And what that means is I lead the development of the technology roadmap for all of our global brands, which we have more than 30 in our portfolio and all of our global functions in the company. Yeah, super cool. I'm, I'm really excited to, to learn more about it and to learn more about you, Linda, and your journey. Before we do, we just like to start with one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. The actionable advice that I would give our listeners is mentor. And that is something incredibly actionable, regardless of what level or where you are in your career. You can always mentor someone. And I truly believe that it pays back. So it's a pay it forward and it pays back because you see growth of those who you have mentored and you also have that mentorship relationship with those who have mentored you. But as a mentor, I think it is one of the most rewarding things for someone growing in their career. Again, regardless of what level you are, you can always mentor and give back and pull someone up with you. And I'm a huge proponent of mentoring women, especially in in the technology space. And that's something that uh, I've always done throughout my career. I agree with that wholeheartedly, Linda. I, I would not be where I am today without the mentors that I've had throughout my career. And I agree with you. It's one of the more fulfilling things, looking to be of service to, you know, people in the world and to colleagues, potential mentees. We're actually going to be starting a STEM program focused on educating kids and young adults on opportunities in digital IT and digital health retail to ultimately promote DE&I in tech, you know, because fundamentally, of course, we want to extend opportunities and jobs to folks who historically may have been overlooked for no good reason. But in regard to ultimately promoting uh, a richer population of folks from a, a grassroots level, that's something that I can have an impact on personally, right? It's helping those folks kind of learn what opportunities exist if that hasn't been afforded to them yet. I love the fact that you use the term to be in service to, right? Because I think the old model of mentorship is who is the wise person who is just sharing their best practices or stories to someone younger or more junior. But I think that what, one of the things that I also value is the reverse mentorship. And I think the phrase that you used about in service to, it's in service to their development as well as in service to your own. And I hope to constantly be mentored by those who have different perspectives to provide the inclusive, diverse, and equitable views that are so valuable today. And that's going to fuel our future leaders and how companies drive their businesses going forward. Yeah, I love that. It really, it helps hold up that mirror for me, right? And really keeps me honest, you know? 
So Linda, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you as an executive. So maybe you could share with us a little bit more about your journey, kind of how you started out and how you got to be a, you know, CIO of a, this epic global brand. Of course, I'd be happy to. So I did start out with a vision to be a CIO. Initially, I was preparing to go to medical school and needed a, a job for the summer. And I worked as an intern for a consulting firm, one of the large consulting firms. And they saw some promise in me and asked me to work for them. And I deferred a year to go to medical school and decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing because it's been fun this summer. And that really was my launch pad to technology and really nurturing my love of curiosity and understanding things outside of what I had known. You know, I went to, to high school here in New York City that was very STEM focused. And now here, although it's technology, it was dealing with people, understanding businesses and their cultures and how they operated. And so I started to really enjoy myself. And as I got to learn about technology, enjoyed the fact that I could advise others about technology. And I really like that. I love being the bridge between the tech speak as well as the business speak. And then I started to whittle down what industries that really resonated for me, right? For me, it, it was an industry where I needed to connect with it. And ultimately, it became CPG and retail. And then after consulting, I had two little babies. So with consulting, you have to travel a bit. Maybe not so much now because of all of the, the virtual work that we're able to do, the hybrid work we're able to do. But I went into industry with a company, you know, Borders Books, and I love, love reading. And so that really started my journey again in terms of the focus around digital, around innovative technology, and then ultimately got me to Estee Lauder. And Estee Lauder is just the culmination of all of the innovation products that I'm incredibly passionate about because I was a consumer before I was an employee of Estee Lauder, of course, and all of the opportunities that have been set in front of me. And it's just been an absolutely amazing ride so far. So cool. I love how you touched on that curiosity too. And I mean, the leaders that I know and that, that I've had on Disruptive Innovators that I really appreciate the low circles, just humble, curious, always learning. These are people that are super accomplished, right? But are still open. And I think it, it also kind of dovetails back into what you were saying about that the, the come from on mentorship, how I get nearly as much out of mentoring people, if not more than they get out of it, it, it feels sometimes. And that's not the reason I do it, but it's just the fact of the matter because it, it's really fulfilling. And I think in this day and age, as leaders, we have to evolve, right? You talked about being adaptive. We have to be adaptive and be the catalyst for more adaptive thinking because we are in more of a volatile, I guess you've heard the term VUCA. We're in the, the VUCA world and we have to really adapt to be successful leaders and 
you know, being humble, inviting other perspectives and being the catalyst for new thought is something that is critical. And, and I'm reading a really great book right now, which is called The End of Leadership as We Know It. And it really highlights the need to build these neural networks or where everything is a neural network, where everything is so connected and to be able to be a successful leader, the old playbooks don't work anymore. You have to start being more adaptive so that your team then can evolve into a, a highly functioning organization, right? And vulnerability and collaboration, it's no longer the as I was saying, I'm the sage who is going to tell you what I think and let it be done. It's more of a collaboration with your teams, right? I can never say that I, I know everything. I know the answer to every problem. That is not the case ever. And I think that, you know, when your teams realize that that is the way you operate and that other thought and perspectives and ideas are welcome, you become a lot more productive. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's where innovation thrives, right? Is when you can create that type of environment. And from what I've experienced and what I've read, if I want to be a transformational leader, I can set that context and, you know, give people the room to kind of strive towards that without clamping down on them. Right. And I've found that when I, as opposed to assigning a task, right? And being a more transactional leader or, or manager, when I set the context and let them kind of strive towards it, I, they actually accomplish more because they go way past the task at hand, right? It's, we're all kind of striving towards a, a unified goal. And I, I also appreciate what you said about translating kind of the technology and the, the business and operations. That's what I kind of heard uh, you say, because I've seen over the course of my career that a lot of technologists, CIOs, directors of IT and so on, they kind of operated in that silo where they were keeping the lights on, right? And and maybe there was innovation in pockets and or a, a product or a service that they would roll out to their customers. But truly, it is more important now than ever for me as a technology leader to really be in the epicenter. And I think the significance of what you said about hearing those perspectives above and beyond it being crucial to include those in the overarching strategy is also from the standpoint of organizational management, right? Or organizational change management, rather. When I'm calling on those people to move forward to what's next, you know, the fact that I took the time to make their perspectives heard when I call on them, they're that much more apt to, to move with the tide rather than being averse to change, you know? That is spot on. You talked about the epicenter. Technology is in every corner of businesses today. And we have an advantageous seat to see end to end across all business functions both cross-functionally as well as vertically within function. And so I think if we don't take advantage of that opportunity to make the impact to our business because we have that view and to be able to lean in and engage and to really understand and provide a perspective where 
how can technology help you reduce costs or improve your operational efficiencies around supply chain or reduce inventory? And to be able to speak that language in the way that our business needs to hear it, I think that is an invaluable skill for any technologist today and and going forward. I think that has to be a critical evaluation criteria or a critical criteria for when you are looking for technologists going forward. Even if you're in the deep technical areas, you have to wonder, what am I doing this for? To have a bigger picture about the impact that you're making. And that makes it very fulfilling for people to understand that, hey, I may be writing a new front end page, but what is this for? This is so that our consumers can use technology in a more inclusive way. And I think if they're able to tell that story themselves, they're really going to appreciate the impact that they have as opposed to, I'm just building this page. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I was just talking about this with Ron Glickman over at Creator Joe's the power of purpose and direction, right? It's significant. And that's what we're talking about here. So Linda, I feel the CIOs that I've met that have come from consulting backgrounds, it, it's a really unique perspective that you bring having worked with many clients over time. It's just invaluable experience. What would you say is one of the most important things that you learned over the course of your journey personally or professionally? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I would say if I were to just pick one, I think it's stop getting in your own way. And that stems from one being a woman in the tech community we're still a minority and making sure that you're thinking about, am I doing everything right? You have to stop getting in your own way of thinking that way that you're comparing yourself to someone, but just really have that confidence in order for you to do the thing that you do because you're good at it. And, you know, maybe this comes from growing up a little bit in a more traditional Korean household where men and women had certain position in life. And I, I think that, you know, those voices that are constantly talking to you are those voices that if you listen in the right way, they are going to push you to do more things, to push yourself, to be more curious, push yourself to lean into uncertainty, disruption, volatility, and be comfortable in that. I think Many times bringing it to clients that I've had, and I've worked with CIOs where they and their teams just get in their own way for whatever reason. So you have to think about culture and the psychology of why that, why that organization operates the way they do. And it's a lot easier said than done to say, stop getting in your own way. But the recognition, I think that recognizing that you're in your own way is pretty critical. So once I realized that was an area that I needed to work on, it really opened things up for me. You know, as an Asian woman in tech, I oftentimes I get from Asian women as well as women about, I get, now there's somebody that looks like me out there. There's somebody who is doing what I want to do 
And I have to tell them, don't get in your own way because you can do it. Love that. I really do. And as a father to two daughters, you know, I just, anything that I can do to help promote this, I would love my daughters to be technologists, selfishly, but, but I don't think my wife wants that. But whatever they want to do, I want them to be able to do and to hopefully not have values or beliefs that I instill in them as children that do anything to hold them back or ideally that society does either. You know, you mentioned kind of, or we get certain values and beliefs instilled at us as children. And I was just talking about this with someone else too, about how over as we reach adolescence and through our twenties and thirties, and there's that crossroads where those beliefs and values rear their head. And for me, they were what was holding me back or a part of it. Right. And I had to face that. And, you know, one of my biggest moments of personal strife led to my biggest moment of personal growth, really. That was an incredible paradigm shift for me. And then leading out of that, what it led to was, and I've been reading about this self-authorship theory where from then I write the story, right? And being comfortable with discomfort and sitting through it, right? And, you know, yeah, it stinks, but it's just, it's part of the process, you know? What would you say, Linda, was, you know, a moment that sticks out in your mind as a time that you were challenged or that you had a project fail or, you know, something that was very difficult for you, but you ultimately took out away a, a profound lesson. Is there anything that comes to mind? I would probably pick my experience at Borders Group. I was the chief technology officer and I also own the online channel. And just a little bit of context, Borders was at that time in a turnaround scenario. We did not know if the company would survive. And so everything that we were doing, trying to increase sales across all channels, everything felt like a failure. And although it wasn't just my own personal failure, it felt like the turnaround team and the leadership team was struggling to turn the company around. And to be able to have to wear three or four different hats on a daily basis, right? And the level of volatility and uncertainty around that. And I think, you know, recently uh, a senior leader shared the terms grit and grace with me. And to have to wear, for example, in the morning, I had to make sure that operationally everything, all the lights were still on so that we could keep operating our stores. We could still keep operating online. And then putting on my channel hat to look at how do we bring traffic to the sites? How do we convert on the site? What are our offerings? What is our promotion and marketing front plan? Are we working with our distribution partners to make sure that our consumers are getting the products that they ordered on a timely basis? And then working with potential investors and getting the story together to try to get investors interested in borders so that we did not have to close doors, but 
I think that having the grit and the grace really helped me and the leadership team through a very difficult time. And sadly, we could not save the company, but we were at least able to do it in such a way where we took care of the people. And, you know, ultimately you are going to have to let people go. But I believe that we did it with grace and caring and generosity of spirit. And that was a huge lesson learned, being able to wear all of those hats in one day while juggling, not showing the anxiety, right? Because it was a pretty nervous time showing more grit and grace as a leader because you do have a team that you have to lead. I love the grit and grace. I'm going to, that's, I love that. I'm going to take that. So Linda, I want to get into a little bit more about your current role. Before we do, I always just like to ask favorite book or literary piece, blog, podcast that you're reading now or all time, your choice. Right now, I I think I mentioned a little earlier, I am reading this great book, The End of Leadership as We Know It. And it talks about, you know, leadership during very volatile and disruptive times. And I also love the way the authors came up with the title. Those of you who are REM fans, there's a song, It's the End, The World That We Know It. And that kind of got included and tacked on towards the end. And, you know, every time I read it, I I hear the REM song in my head, right? So it's also an amazing read, very practical ways of leading through, as I mentioned earlier, VUCA, right? The volatility, uncertainty, and uh, ambiguity, and and so on. Yeah, I got to check it out because, I mean, literally, we're all there right now, right? So Linda, you're Divisional CIO at Estee Lauder overseeing a, a slew of different brands. I want to talk a little bit more about your vision for the organization as it's derived from the overall mission of, of Estee Lauder. So the vision of the IT organization, I think we have to first look at within in order for us to be able to make an impact outside of IT, thereby supporting our business vision. And we do that by promoting this culture of joy. We talk about this within Estee Lauder IT. So the culture of joy, if you think about what joy is, and it's a phrase that my boss, Mike Smith, had coined early on when he joined us, is In the workplace, joy is divided into two different things. One is, are you paid well? You can support your family and have the things that you need in order to continue to promote work-life balance. The other part of joy is, am I doing something that is very meaningful? Do I get the acknowledgement and the appreciation? Can I innovate? Can I bring new ideas to the company? Am I learning? Do I have a career path for growth? Not just in the traditional way, but we're very supportive of our team members looking across functions outside of IT so that they can grow their talent because, you know, we always benefit from the talent remaining in the company. So we want to be the most talented destination for technologists in the industry. So that's certainly a vision that we have for our organization. And then, of course, to be able to enable 
Estee Lauder companies to bring the most beautiful products to our consumers, to bring the unique digital experiences to our consumers and do it in a very cost-effective way. The beauty of the Estee Lauder company is we're always thinking about, you know, the beauty from within as well as how we can allow someone to feel beautiful, whatever their definition of beauty is. And we do that through beautiful products. We do it through beautiful communities. We do it through beautiful engagements. So we're very thoughtful and choiceful about that. So trying to promote the culture of joy, not just within IT, but then with those colleagues with whom we work so that we are making the impact that we want to make. And I'd say that is what I envision for our organization. Yeah. Wow. It's super cool to hear that. I'll tell you that, you know, I know of Michael Smith. I mean, I'm involved in the New York CIO communities and I, he, I think he was honored last year at the Orbeez, but that's all just to say that from the outside looking in, the culture is really clear. I mean, it really permeates the presence online and otherwise of just the involvement in the community, the hackathons. I see that. I mean, and so I, that's all just to say kudos because, I mean, obviously I'm not working at Estee Lauder, but it shows. It really shows. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, we're very proud of what we've built and we'll continue to build upon, of course. Yeah. Of course. So Linda, what are some of the key initiatives that you all are working on now in your role that you're able to share with us? Well, there's certainly a lot, but I'll put it, give you two examples. One related to improving some operational efficiencies and another bringing some unique experiences to our consumers. So, you know, we are, as I'm sure many companies are, we are using AI and AI isn't new to technologists, of course, but really now with more of the visibility of AI and the power of what we can do, that has really allowed the awareness within the Estee Lauder companies to blossom further and to be able to use the leverage the technology to look at how do we determine, for example, down to the ingredient of, of a formula, how green that is. Because our consumers are very concerned about sustainability, the EHS, uh, ESG impacts, and as well as looking at the most efficient ways of getting those ingredients and ultimately the final product to our consumer, right? Finding the most efficient routes to certainly do that and to maximize our supply against our demand. The other exciting capability is around being able to look at more of the what if types of scenarios before you actually do it, right? To be able to use technology to do what if scenarios, let's say on a product line, before you actually change the product line to find some of the efficiency gaps there. And so that's very exciting for us. The other unique experience initiative that we're working on is in the area of inclusive tech. So earlier this year, we launched a voice-enabled makeup assistant app, and it's the first of its kind. And what 
it does is it leverages artificial intelligence to help low vision and blind consumers apply makeup so that they could be more independent. So they don't need someone to help them put their makeup or do their brow or put foundation on. And it's really a testament to our commitment to be more inclusive. And, you know, this version of of the app right now, it's for anyone to use if they found it. We're not necessarily having you buy a product, but to use it so that you can be very confident in whatever application or coverage that that you may want to apply. And it is because it is voice enabled, it will tell you where you may have a smudge or where your eyeshadow may be off or if your foundation coverage isn't uniform. And so our consumers have really loved this and we've launched this in the UK and in North America. And we're proud to have, you know, won a Fast Company Award for it. We hope to bring more of these types of initiatives to our consumer community. That's super cool. So, and is it like augmented reality type, like where it'll tell me like where to do the lines and stuff like that? I'm just, obviously it's, it's capturing the video of the individual. Yes, it is using an AR engine behind the scenes. So if you wanted to try it, David, you can put your lipstick on and it will tell you if you've got on your upper right corner of your lip, if you have a smudge and gives you an opportunity to change it, reapply, and then do it again and guide you through that process. That's just super cool. Very interactive, right? Pretty much real-time interaction to allow you to do that. I mean, you have to take the time to reapply and apply and reapply, but it is giving you the the feedback right there so that just for the heck of it, you want to try on that new shade of lipstick or you're on your way out, you can use this application to, to help with that. Well, what about any challenges that are facing Estee Lauder as a company right now? Well, I would say some of the biggest challenges are really more external and more macroeconomic. I mean, You know, we've had markets that have not recovered as quickly as we would have liked to have had them recover. So, you know, we certainly have to be very prudent about the investments we make in terms of what we bring to market, the experiences that we bring to market as well. And so we certainly need to prioritize those types of investments and to be able to bring the most impactful solutions to our business, right? So I think I would say the biggest challenge is we don't believe that we limit ourselves internally to achieve greatness. It's making sure that our markets and our consumers are able to receive some of what we're able to to bring to them in terms of innovative and amazing products, as I said, and experiences and and to be able to work across the enterprise to to make sure that we do everything that we can as the markets either are recovering or emerging, right? So that we're there to play in those spaces. Very cool. So Linda, I got a, a couple more questions for you. One would be, where do you see the beauty product or consumer product goods industry going in the future and or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? 
What I would say about the industry is that we're going to see in terms of brands that will continue to see more brands inflate and then deflate. There are so many indie brands that pop up every year, including celebrity brands, right? The barriers to entry are lower now. And it's a matter of who who survives. And a large majority of those smaller brands that pop up on an annual basis don't necessarily survive or are acquired by larger brands. It's a matter of how do you stay resilient and maintain your market share through beautiful products. I keep going back to products, experiences, and consumer loyalty, right? To not just the brand itself, but the company's culture, you know, in terms of what we believe in as compared to what our complete, our consumers' values are as well. And so I think we will continue to see a lot of that because the beauty space is very, very exciting. And in terms of the biggest changes, as the biggest changes will be around how consumers look at beauty. Right now, I think a lot of the, what we've been considering for all of the big beauty companies, you know, it's in some of the major categories around fragrances, hair care, makeup, and skincare. It could be potentially another category that may emerge based on how the shifts in, in how our consumers buy or look at beauty, right? If we look at wellness as part of beauty, that could be another category that has some intersections with the four categories that I mentioned. And that, that's already starting to emerge in terms of wellness, you know, thinking about wellness as part of skincare, as part of hair care, because, you know, skin and hair, it's starting to get a little more blurred because now, you know, hair care includes scalp, which is part of skin. And I think that we're going to see a little more blurring of the lines around that. And then how start to look at how wellness becomes a whole story or not just a story, but a consumer's journey around beauty. Very cool. I mean, I haven't even thought about some of this stuff. So it's just, it's great to learn. Linda, so my final question uh, that I just like to ask all my guests is if you could go back five, 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say probably I'm going to pick the 10 years because I was more aware five years ago. I think the importance of relationships and how you know, it's really easy to let your work speak for yourself. But, you know, I started this conversation with mentoring, you know, building a relationship, whether it be a mentorship type of relationship, someone who knows what you do, or creating that personal board in terms of a mentor, a coach, and a sponsor, and that all that's all centered around relationships, right? You'll continue to do amazing work, but without some of the relationships to round out, not just in your professional life, but in your personal life, I think that relationships are absolutely, absolutely critical. Now, I'm a bit of an introvert. And so, you know, just reaching out to someone 
I had to really put on paper, you know, do I have something that I want to say? Is it going to be valuable? And really thinking about it, I think 10 years ago, I stressed out about it a little bit more. It has become a little easier now that that relationship has become part of my professional, personal action DNA. But I would say that it's so important to consider relationships as being that core skill that you have. You know, I I probably had figured it out longer than 10 years ago, but I would say that still remains something that is so important to how I operate as a leader. Yeah, I mean, it's just a great way to cap things off. I am also an introvert like an extroverted introvert, there's some way to categorize it. It's funny hosting a podcast and being an introvert, but it's true. And there was a moment in time where I had just, it, because the one of the things that held me back was my fear of failure, fear of what people would think of me or, or things of that nature. What clicked at one point was just the fact that we're all just people, you know, we're like, no matter what your title is, no matter you know, what your role is. Everybody has their stuff. Everybody's just another person on the bus, really, you know? So it kind of diffused that a little bit. And I agree. I mean, relationships are everything. I always say like, I'm in the business of creating 30 year relationships because you never know how you might be able to be a resource to someone or vice versa. And it's really been when I learned that exactly the advice you just gave it it really you know just changed the the game so but i really learned it from my mom she's the presidency of a nonprofit, and she's just one of those people that is just you know she's just a brilliant connector is she an extrovert i think so kind of yeah it's just so so natural for some people it's like a, a duck to water if you if you know that term, my Gen Zers look at me funny when I use terms like that. But, you know, I've instilled in them the importance of relationship across all aspects of your life, you know, with your family, with your friends, and to be able to to nurture those. Because, I mean, when we were going through COVID, if you had the relationships, even if it was through Zoom, you were able to feel some connection at, that we saw needed. And now to your point, who knows, I could be working for you someday. So it's important that we nurture the relationships, but they have to be genuine and to last. And that's the point that I wanted to add to is that you can be in networking sessions where you're networking with, you know, 30 different people. I think we introverts kind of look at it more like because I'm better one-on-one, I think, or a much smaller group of people, if I had the two very meaningful conversations, then that's a win for me, right? And and I think that proves to be a bit more fruitful than, you know, 10 business cards when you got business cards or 20 business cards you got at one point going, when did I talk to them about? 100%. For me, life is all about love and human connection. Like if I had to distill it, right? This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time, Linda. It was an absolute pleasure, David. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. 
This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.